Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello, my darlings. I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet because the longer episode, and you know why it's a longer episode? Because we have Hillary Kerr, the founder of Who, What, Where, the host of Second Life Podcast. The woman who literally came up with the idea to post what celebrities are wearing on the internet and tell you where to buy it. Hello. Like, genius. Genius. Trailblazer. Mother. Very sweet, charming human being. I hope you enjoy every second of this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Well, you started what year was it that you started who what where 2006 yeah so that was I was a sophomore in college in in fashion school so you're like a god to me (laughs) (laughs) if we're just breaking down timelines and like my career Um, you know what I mean because it was like oh like it was it was talked about I went to Parsons for design and management and like who what where was like referenced in school you know because it was you guys were talking. I mean, you were the an active example of what we were studying, which was basically just like new digital media and marketing. That is so surreal to hear on so Isn't many levels. Like, I, I, I can't even. It just blows my mind. And it's just crazy because, you know, we were just two kids not much older than you trying to figure out this new frontier of content. And mm-hmm. it's crazy to think how long we've been in it and how many changes the industry has gone through. But some things remain the same, you know? I feel like you guys are really the only, you're the only site that I still consistently check. And I'm sure it's for the same reason as what you started, which is like, what are people wearing? How do I wear it? And what are the various options I have to wear that thing? We like a little utility. You know, I th- <laughs> that's the thing you know, this is table stakes now, but it was somewhat revolutionary in 2006, like this idea of democratizing fashion in this way and making it accessible in a variety of ways, you know, price points, even just linking to things. No one was doing that. It's it's no. so bizarre to me now because it just seems like such an obvious service oriented thing to do. No, this was revolutionary <laughs> for multiple reasons. I want to talk about how you got there. You were one of the, you worked at L. What were you doing before that? Your only other job was like working at the Gap, right? You yeah. had like three jobs. <laughs> yeah, I, I have not, I have not worked for a variety of places. So I, <laughs> I interned when I, I graduated from college a semester early and moved 
to Sydney, Australia, and started interning at Marie Claire magazine there. And it was like full time, four days a week. And then I took like one class on the side. Was that scary moving to Sydney? No. Did you always have an Australia excitement? How did you end up there? My father was a was in the military, but also was a commercial pilot. So I grew up traveling quite a bit. And so I felt comfortable. And I'm a Mm -hmm. people person and Australians are amazing. The nicest people ever. Totally. So I (laughs) felt oddly comfortable doing doing that. And also it was like it felt like a very safe situation. So yeah, so I started interning there. And then Went to grad school in New York and did a bunch more internships in style in L.A., in style in New York, Harper's Bazaar in New York, and then was in New York, graduated from school, and I got a job at Elle magazine in the features department. And I started about two weeks after my last final, which was wild and exciting. And also, P.S., I ruined the time in between my last final and starting my job because I was so nervous, wondering if I was going to get that job. And I started, you know, pretty quickly after. And then oh I was God. like, oh, no, this, that was like my last shot at some, yeah. some freedom. freedom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, I, you know, it's just especially back then, there were only really a handful of magazines I wanted to work for. You know, it was I had interned at Bazaar and knew at that moment in time that was not the place for me. Mm. There was Vogue, which I didn't think was going to be interested in me. You know, there was W, there was L. There just weren't a whole lot of places to go. And you think about it, there are only, what, like four assistant positions at any given magazine in Mm -hmm. the features department and four in the fashion department. So I'm really looking for you know, and I knew I wanted to go in the features department. So I was looking for one of 16 jobs. So crazy. If I, I didn't run the math on that at the time, if I had, <laughs> I, I I don't know what I would have done, but it just seemed I, so much of it is timing. Like I had a great resume, sure, but a lot of it was just the luck and timing of it all. But that was a really wonderful place to start my career. I loved working at L. I'm still friends with all of the women who I in, who I was an assistant with and oh my God. still in touch with some of the editors who have gone on to different places. So it was a really informative and important place for me to learn. And I feel exceptionally grateful that that's where I landed. It breaks my heart often what has happened to magazines. I know. Did you see that? Solely... What? Did you see that Amy O'Dell Substack article the other day about like no. newsstand copies of Vogue? It used to be like 400, 500,000 a month. And now it's like 50. Oh, God. Oh. Seeing that seeing it in a bar graph really makes it hit home. What makes it so sad is the lack of excitement it takes to open your phone and have access to so much because Elle specifically had for me, had the best editorials. I mean, Vogue is Vogue, of course, but it was so waspy and it wasn't anything that I could ever... I was like, that is not a world. (laughs) And I have like friends that have worked there and... Their life, it's like their lives are so different than like it was like now, obviously it's changed. Thank God. But that was like, you can't touch the Vogue girls ever. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like I wasn't like a a purebred animal like all those girls were. It was just incredible. And 
Very pedigreed. Very storied. Yes. And that and the L Mac, like it I had to just like fight to beg my mom to get L. She would be, I don't want to spend money on this every month, you know? Yeah. Until she got me a subscription. And, you know, I, I think it's really I think it's it's amazing. And I feel so lucky to know so many people who've had like their, you know, you guys are the last of a, and I don't, I don't mean this in like an age, ultimately sounds ageist, but you really were like the last of a genre of human that got to work at a, at a magazine when it was that impactful. Well, it's wild because I've seen that in a couple of things. Like I'm one of the last people who, I had an analog childhood in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like I didn't even get, I was late to get a cell phone, but I didn't get a cell phone until I moved to New York when I was 21. So I know like when I would leave Elle magazine at the end of the day, I would, you know, get on the subway and go back to my apartment and we didn't have internet and I didn't have a smartphone. So when I left work, you left work. Work was over. So it's like I, Weird. you know, I remember getting my first email address in high school. So I had that experience. Like I had mm-hmm. the actual proper magazine experience, but then also have always had this other foot in the digital world. And I feel really lucky to have both experiences. Yeah, I think that's the value there is just and and really truly i think we should emphasize your internships because i think what you said is is really important for anybody listening who's trying to figure it out you knew you didn't want to work at harpers because you had interned there and it didn't feel right yeah hello what an incredible way to figure out where you want to be and we didn't have language for that at that point in time like we didn't have language for culture or company culture or you know it was just we didn't even no one even said the word vibe but the, it just wasn't the right <laughs> vibe for me at that moment in mm-hmm. time there were lots of incredibly talented people there but that was the, the amazing luxury of having time in grad school to intern, I got to actually work at these places. Most of them paid too. So that was, you know, really lovely. And you could see you actually had hands-on experience with the way with the editor you worked for. You saw how people talk to each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got a lot of insight. But to that point, I mean, I still I have friends from interning. There are editors who I worked for at all these publications who I'm still in touch with. Core relationships. It's like you're really in the trenches with folks. So you, mm-hmm. they are even if it's not a perfect internship, you learn so much about both what you want and what you don't want. And you end up forging those relationships that you I'm still, you know, involved with 20 years later, which is wild. I never I know, thought. So important. I, I think kids today understand that importance a little bit more than I certainly did. I never thought I would see any of these people again. And I hope so. I feel like kids sometimes want to work somewhere and then they're like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be and can be like attitude about stuff. And it's kind of like, hold on. I blame like, the hills like, for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there's a little bit of like we glamorized it in a certain way and then folks think oh it's gonna be or the Rachel Zoe project I love Rachel it's no slam against her in any way that show was amazing but I think folks had a glamorized idea and didn't really understand like yes you're seeing the end product but you're not seeing all of the schlepping like it's a very being a stylist involves a lot of like physical manual Mm -hmm. labor 
If you're spending time with loved ones for the holidays, chances are you're going to hear a lot of stories, the ones you love to hear and the ones you've heard too many times. But have you ever wanted to help your loved ones document those timeless stories? I know I have. It can be challenging to write an entire book of life memories, but StoryWorth makes it fun and easy. This is how anyone can write a book about their life. Every week, StoryWorth will email your loved one a single life-related question that you pick from their collection, like what's the bravest thing you've ever done or what's the farthest you've traveled. Oh, it like makes me emotional even thinking about this because I wish I had done this with my grandmother before she passed away. All these people have to do is reply with a story. And then after a year, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories, memories, and even any photos into an exquisite hardcover book creating a valued keepsake. This is the absolute cutest, best idea ever, ever. Millions of stories have already been told with story worth because they make the process so simple. It started with your loved ones for the holidays. And before you know it, you'll both be cherishing those timeless stories for generations to come. I'm going to tell you this right now. I wish more than anything, this was my idea. I wish that I came up with it and this was my idea and this was my legacy because this is the most charming thing you could do for a family member. Help your family share their story this holiday season with StoryWorth. Go to storyworth.com slash best and save $10 on your first purchase. That's StoryWorth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H.com slash best to save $10 on your first purchase. StoryWorth.com slash best. You guys have heard me talk about Parallel before because it's my vitamin routine I cannot live without. Parallel is the first and only OBGYN founded women's vitamin offering targeted vitamin routines for each unique stage of a woman's hormonal life from pre-kids to postpartum. Parallel is offering 15% off your first three months of Parallel with code BEST15. Each product is meticulously formulated for their founding team of world-class doctors, including notable OBGYNs, widely published maternal fetal medicine doctors, and award-winning endocrinologists in partnership with functional medicine doctors, nutritionists, and even doulas. It's one of the first products I've encountered that both Western and Eastern medicine practitioners can agree on. Now that Davide and I are trying for baby number two, I switched to taking their conception support pack which bundles all the vitamins I need to prep my body for pregnancy and support my fertility odds. And Davide's taking their men's multi because you know what? Fertility is 50-50. They have vitamin packs for each individual trimester of pregnancy. I don't go a day without their PCOS support. They have literally something for everyone. And all parallel packs are under $50 a month when you subscribe. So if you were to source everything separately, you'd easily be spending over $100 a month. And exclusively for our Everything is the Best listeners, Parallel is offering 15% off your first three months of Parallel with code BEST15. So head to Parallel.co, that's P-E-R-E-L-E-L dot C-O. And if you do not love it, you can cancel anytime for a 30-day money-back guarantee. Literally, I never want, I don't have the wherewithal of my brain to be a stylist, but I remember interning when I was younger and being like, hmm, it's a lot of bags. Yeah. It's like, it's a, a lot of a job. Those are a lot of bags. It's a mostly cleanup and setting up and driving around and clips. Yes. Maintaining those clips. No. I, Not for me. I like that level of organization, like knowing where everything is. But I also mm-hmm. would feel like the stress would have really taken over of like, oh, my gosh, I, I lost this thing. 100 percent. 
just because you manifested that for yourself because you were nervous, not even because you were just <laughs> Yeah, that's like, you know, it's just so chaotic. So how long were you at L for? Not a tremendously long time, a handful of years, uh, less than five. And then I saw that the higher up you went, the less writing you did and the more editing you did. And mm. I wasn't, I was still in my like, hearty ego phase. And I was less interested in editing someone else's work and was more interested in having some of those experiences for myself. So I thought, okay, I'm going to move back to LA and I'll freelance. And, you know, I have this New York work ethic, this New York Mm -hmm. hustle, these New York contacts. At this point in time, everyone in New York was still very condescending about LA. And I thought, well, I have this sheen because I worked for this, you know, illustrious print magazine. And that means people will trust me because they know that I understand New York, you know, culture and New York deadlines and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. And I was really lucky because when I went in to tell my boss at the time, the editor in chief was Robbie Myers. She said, great, I have a project for you. Your first freelance project is to create these two mini magazines about Project Runway season two. And you're going to leave work early on your last day of work to fly to L.A. to go to open calls for your first, you know, part of this project. So then I was back and forth between New York and L.A. for the next six months. Oh, wow. It was an amazing. And that was the first time I'd done any fashion writing at all. So my beat had been food, travel, entertaining, design. I had an art column, which is hysterical because I know nothing about art. And that's actually why they gave it to me. They're like, no one knows anything about art, so you're actually the right person for it. If you think it's interesting, other folks will too. Yeah. Um, I was the ghostwriter. Anna Kornikova had a fitness column, and I was her ghostwriter. So I remember that. Which was really, I got so many jobs based off of that. It's unbelievable. Um, Amazing. But I'd never written about fashion. So, by the way, how much is Elle paying you at this time? Like $20,000 a year? My salary at L when I started was $25,000 a year plus overtime. So that didn't get me so far. And I had had a couple of small bumps, but it wasn't it wasn't much. I mean, I really like my parents helped me on rent and I could expense taxis if I was going to a work event and, you know, ate at cocktail parties. And I was going to say the food, the, the food and the drink at the cocktail parties was everything. I remember positioning myself by the door at like a Victoria's Secret fashion show runway after party because that's where the food was coming. It's like <laughs> I was like, I need to eat. I'm starving. So yeah, it was not, it was uh we were rich in experience, but yeah. uh broke in actual finances. Yeah, that's the best, those are the best life moments. Yeah. You have to be broke and rich in experience. That's that made me who I am. A hundred percent. And it was like that for a long time for me, too, because, you know, going from it's not like I left L with some giant amount of savings and then launched yeah. into being an entrepreneur with any sort of cushion. It was it was a real scrappy existence for many, many, many years, like far longer how did than you I think meet, folks know. How did you meet Catherine? On the set of Project Runway season two oh. open calls in L.A. She was the West Coast editor for L and L Girl. It was a 
joint position. L Girl was my favorite. It was the best. She booked all of the covers for L Girl. Oh, wow. That was her main gig. Very cool. Very excellent at it. And we talked. She had just started that job and she didn't know like the magazine world or how the reporting worked in New York or how that Mm. team functioned. So in a somewhat uncharacteristic for her move, she I think she gave me her phone number was like, call me when you come back, when you move to L.A. and we'll go have lunch. And I was intimidated because she is very chic. But I did. (laughs) I followed up. And so we became friends where we basically would, I mean, frankly, drink wine and gossip about like the L offices and the fiefdoms and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff, which was, and we were friends for about a year before we started Who, What, Where. And what was the aha moment that Who, What, Where needed to happen? Well, I think it was, I mean, selfishly, it was something that we made for ourselves. So Mm -hmm. we would get frustrated because you would see a beautiful piece in a fashion magazine editorial well story. And you would flip to the back of the book and you would see the credits and you'd look up the 800 number and you would call the 800 number for, let's say, Chanel. Not like I was buying Chanel, but let's say I just wanted to. Yeah. So you call Chanel and they're like, Hello. And you say, ah, there's this beautiful Chanel belt on page 145 in the well of this L story from this month. Is it available for sale? Where is it? Like, what's the deal? And they would have no idea what you were talking about. And we kept thinking, like, wouldn't it be amazing if you could take magazine quality content and put it online, but that you could shop all of it because that was becoming, you know, Net-A-Porte existed, Shopbop existed. And then we started thinking about it more and we found ourselves going to gossip sites, not because we were so interested in the gossip. I mean, I love gossip. I'm not going to lie. No, I would get us weekly religiously because I wanted to know where like Nicole Richie and Lindsay Lohan were getting all their clothes. And we would go. And I would go to Diabolina on Robertson and buy whatever dress I could. And that's the only way that you could attempt to see what someone who was cool and famous was wearing, you could see it in Us Weekly or you could see it in on the gossip sites and they didn't cover the fashion, but you could at least see the photos. And then maybe if you were lucky, they like three or four months later, that same picture would run in Vogue or in L of Ashley Olsen. And maybe if you were super lucky, they would identify what she was wearing. But that wasn't a given. So we thought, okay, what if we use these of the moment pictures, did the actual reporting and then merged it out at different price points so that even if you couldn't afford that unbelievable specific, you know, Chloe bag, you could still not. Oh, Chloe bags. Mm-hmm, like, <laughs> that, that you could get the look in a way that was not about look for less. We did not want to do that. It was about taking inspiration from it and then making it your own. So yeah, it was like a J it was whatever item is adjacent, not yes. like here's the mm-hmm. n- n- not a direct rip. So that was that was the idea. And Daily Candy had just sold for a, a significant amount of money. And we thought, let's make a newsletter. It's just like one thing a day. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. And I am the best person to tell you this because All of my brands and my husband's brands are on Shopify. So whether your thing is vintage teas or recipes for gear, maybe you're like us and you're like, let's sell some olive oil. Start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of your favorite businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll create an online store that is in your vibe. You can discover new customers and grow the following that keeps them coming back. 
It has all the sales channels sorted so your business can keep growing from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. I have to tell you, Davide is illiterate when it comes to phones, computers, setting anything up. And he is a Shopify genius. He is a pro. Thanks to the 24-7 support they have and all the free libraries of educational content. Whenever he got stuck or I got stuck, we were able to be helped right away. And then we know it like the back of our hand. It's how every minute new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify and you will too, especially for brands that have a store like Davide. The inventory is streamlined between his e-commerce and his store. It's just unbelievable. And I'll tell you this, especially if you want to raise money, we get all of our information from Shopify, our year-over-year sales, any of the information we need to try to raise money. It's really fantastic. When you're ready to launch your thing into the spotlight, please do it with Shopify. Trust me. You can sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash best, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash best and start selling online today. Shopify.com slash best. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy. They can be filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk growing kids should never eat and like obviously just like opposes the point of taking the vitamins in the first place. That's why Hyo was created. It's the pediatrician approved super powered chewable vitamin. While most children's vitamins are filled with five grams of sugar and can contribute to a variety of health issues, Hyo is made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk yet tastes great and is perfect for little picky eaters. Haya fills, Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide full body nourishment our kids need with a yummy taste that they love. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies. Then it's supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals, including vitamin D, B12, seizing folate and many others to help support immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, teeth, bones, and more. It is non-GMO. It's vegan. It's dairy-free. It's allergy-free. It's grain-free. It's nut-free. Everything that you can imagine. It is designed for kids of all ages sent straight to your door so parents don't have any additional thing to worry about. I love getting these delivered in the mail. You know I love my vitamins and I love providing that habit for my daughter. And we've worked out a special deal for Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You can receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash best. This deal is not available on their regular website. It's just for you guys because I love you. So go to HayaHealth.com, H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash best and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. What happened to Daily Candy? It sold and then the magic went away, I guess. And it just fizzled into nothing? I mean, it was really a huge deal back in the day. Big, very big deal because I worked at People's Revolution. Yeah. Post to the hills. Daily Candy was like. I mean, it could make or break your business, right? Like it could. All of our clients were like Daily Candy, Vogue Daily Candy, Vogue Daily Candy. Yep. L. L. Oh my God. What's the name of that editor? She's still, she has the long, long, long brown hair. Nina Garcia? At, no, no, no. Long. And now she has, I think she has like two kids. She was an editor at L. Oh, I can see her. I can't. Joanna? I can see her. 
I can't remember her name. No. Jade. Yes. Frampton. Jade Frampton. Yeah. It was like, if I could get Jade Frampton to like <laughs> respond, put one of my clients somewhere respond like, oh my God. I mean, editors were gods. Yeah. It was a real gate te- gatekeeping time. Yes. Daily Candy, too. I mean, my God, I just. Anyway, so you were had this moment where you realized what needed to happen. So were you guys, you must have just been, I don't know if many people will probably think about this because I'm always like, nobody ever appreciates the work that people put into making things just appear on a screen. You had, I mean, how scrappy were the two of you when you started this? I mean, as scrappy as you can be. Catherine uh, taught herself Photoshop. So she did all of the layouts. (laughs) I wrote all of the stories. I uploaded Mm -hmm. everything. Like we, I sent that newsletter. How did you find out what people were wearing? We would call their publicists or we would, I mean, so it's also funny because in this day and age, anytime anyone wears something, if you're a journalist, you get a press release about it. Mm-hmm. We had to actively, I remember calling KCD and trying oh, to get KCD. Matthew Byers on the phone to tell me <laughs> about a specific <laughs> Chloe piece or Mulberry piece or whatever it was. And he was kind <coughs> of like, who are you? What is Why this? Why are you calling it's me? A, you're from a digital only publication. He came around and is an amazing human, but it was, it was really pushing a boulder up the mountain to try and get those IDs. But we were crazy people like we would zoom in on the, you know, paparazzi picture to try and ID the button and then would compare that with, you know, something that we found online. Like we were having to buy these photos, too. huh? Yeah. So we also we were er we were very early in the space, but we were not so early as to start it as a hobby. It was always a business. And Mm -hmm. we knew from the beginning that we had to do things by the book. So we always licensed our photos. We always were very clear when we started doing ads, like what was sponsored content. We called them advertorials because that's how old we are. Mm -hmm. And we we did everything (laughs) by the book. So, but yeah, we were real sleuths. And then half the time, you know, we'd figure out something, what something was. And then we would call the PR in New York and check. And then we would call the local store and check and make sure that it actually really was there. And was that, available. Yeah, because then it started to get to a point where I think brands in particular saw how much people were shopping our site and that we could really drive sales. How soon did that happen? Almost immediately. No. Yes. Yeah, because you were the only one doing it. Yes. It was remarkable. You spearheaded ultimately how every fashion website works and insta i mean you pioneered you deserve a big fat paycheck thank you from somewhere Um, from like the from the digital fashion gods well it was funny because you know like when we started vogue didn't have a website and Mm -hmm. l's website was just a splash page for subscriptions so it was it was i cannot express enough how much of a frontier it was and how reluctant people were to participate in the beginning. Brands, celebrities, publicists, people were very nervous about the digital world. 
They just they yeah. saw it as less than. I wish I could hear those conversations now. Like what the oh, these girls are calling from this. It's a website. They want to like, tum- I don't know. Is that cheesy? Like what if it cheapens the brand? Like I could just hear these like what is it running next to? Like adjacency yeah. was a big concern. But you- oh, my God. Yes. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. What's it sitting next to was always the question. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so funny. It was really interesting. But the shopping piece of it took hold right away. And that's, I think, how we knew that we were onto something that and we started getting RFPs from Net-A-Porte and from Gucci and from Burberry right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And we were so green. We didn't know what an RFP was. We had to Google request for proposal like they want to advertise on your site. And now you have to put together a proposal to send that happened right away huh? within, I think, the first six months. Yeah. Wow. Really fast. Because they saw. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because I mean, there's just, yeah, they're tracked. They're probably seeing the clicks, but I mean, I remember going into the data early on with Net-A-Porte and there was one sale and keep in mind, this is like 2007. So recession is on and looming and they, they spent over $50,000 in one shopping expedition And that blew my mind. A, we were getting commission from that, which was great because that was referral. But B, I was like that fact that someone it just really showed me the power of luxury online and that there was a shopper who was interested in it and not afraid to spend. And, you know, these brands were seeing us send that business through. And then all of a sudden things started moving pretty quickly. How long until you we're like, okay, we need an office and we need another employee. And this is like a real thing. It was a couple of years. So how old are you at this point in time? Um, so we started asking. it when I was uh, 26 and then, yeah, just about to turn 27. Were you in your, were you, you were you married already? Oh gosh, no. no, no. I didn't get married until I was 37. So. Oh, wow. Oh my God. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. I was very far from it. I, I, your your whole life. Your, this is your you are deep dive whole life. Yeah, and also I was freelancing because I had to pay rent. And to that point, I think it's important to point out how wildly privileged I was to be able to do all of this. So mm-hmm. I didn't have school debt. I didn't have medical debt. I didn't have mm-hmm. family to support. I knew that if something terrible happened, I could, in theory, go back to San Diego and live with my parents. All I had to do basically was like make rent, pay my Cobra insurance and eat. So I didn't have a lot of risk in that moment. So I could Mm -hmm. make those take that really big swing. And, you know, we weren't there was no money to pay ourselves. Everything went back into the business. So I was freelancing and then working on who, what, where full time because it was five days a week. One, I mean, it was one story a day, but somehow that seemed like a tremendous well, a amount. Lot because it's not, I mean, now you want to find out what somebody's wearing. It's you open your phone. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you were describing earlier, calling people, I mean, in my head, Reporting. I just thought to myself, you are spending <laughs> all day mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to figure out what people are wearing and where you could tell people to buy it. I mean, that's just time consuming. Yeah. It's like the market research and then, you know, the, and then the finding IDs. a similar item that you want to suggest. I mean, this is not like an easy thing. Paying for those images, finding more of the images. We're not taking photos with our cell phone no. at this point. 
And then this is a whole. the the fact checking part of it, because, you know, I, I have a master's in journalism. I came from mm-hmm. L. I it was really important to me. And we also thought because the digital world was looked down upon, it was even more important for us. So when we would send out requests, super formal in our language, like everything was very buttoned up. I, you know, like copy edited everything. Like we were meticulous about all of that research because we wanted people to know it was, even if we were, even if I was writing in a casual way, it was elevated in all of these other details. And at what point did you start hiring people? A couple of years in. I mean, so it was. Oh, wow. You did that. You did that for years. <laughs> yes. Just the two of you. Yeah. Amazing. It just it's hard to to bring somebody. My husband still isn't hired anyway. It's, it's your baby. And I think for us, too. I mean, I think that's one of like the top 10 most frightening moments of my life was when we decided to hire someone. And because that's their career. Mm-hmm. That's their money. If we made a mistake, like it would, yep. it just felt like I felt so it's much responsibility deal. for this mm-hmm. person. And it was great. I mean, it all went well. But I, I just remember like wet hands of nervousness making that decision and going around and around about it. I, I it's I don't think. Yeah, I don't think people understand your how much you're putting on the line hiring someone. Yeah, and we didn't have an office yet at that point either. So we worked out of my apartment and then Catherine's apartment. And we're still doing that at that point in time, too. So it was, you know, and establishing protocols and, you know, trying to be a good boss. Um, that, trying to be HR and trying to be <laughs> HR, tech, like all of it in yeah. the, at the same time. You know, there there's all of that minutiae that no one talks about that is really yeah. labor. Intensive. Yeah. Do you get this person a computer? Do you get them health insurance? What happens if something goes wrong with their computer? And I, I, mean, I had really good credit. So all of who, what, where's computers ran and our work credit cards ran off of my personal credit for yep. like a decade. Yeah, that's incredible. because after the recession, <laughs> the there was they always required a personal guarantor for everything. And because I Amazing. had great credit, that was me, which was terrifying. I mean, like at one point, I remember I'm like, we have then I think I want to say 50 employees and all of these computers are on me. Oh, my God. Which was terrifying. <laughs> and finally, now we're at like 150. And finally, that's not the case anymore that it all runs through me. But there was a there, that was a very scary time in that way. Exciting, but also terrifying. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day came highly recommended to me by many of my friends who just had like a little bit of glowy ease to them. That's why I started taking Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is the best way to start your day. I just add one scoop to water in the morning, throw it in a smoothie. And let me tell you why it's so good. One scoop of Athletic Greens has 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. It's a special blend of ingredients to support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all of the things. I tell you right now, as your friend, you notice a complete difference when you go off of it because it makes you just feel so good. I do not travel without the travel packs. I am obsessed with them and it's lifestyle friendly. So whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy, free, gluten-free, 
It's free of all the things. It contains less than one gram of sugar. There's no GMOs, no nasty chemicals. It's just one thing with all of the best things. And it costs you less than $3 a day. So you're investing your health rather than investing in that coffee habit. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase, which is fabulous for this time of year as we're deep in cold and flu season. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash best and the number four. Again, that's athleticgreens.com best four to take ownership over your health and get the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Everything is the best is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp online therapy is incredible because listen, as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online, plus it's affordable. Fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a the therapist. If they're not clicking, easily change. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Pia. That's betterhelp.com slash Pia. Life doesn't come with a user's manual, so when it's not working for you, it's normal to feel stuck. And navigating life's challenges can make you feel unsure whether it's a career change, new relationship, or becoming a parent. And you can't expect to have all the answers yourself. You can't expect to get them from a partner or a friend or a family member. Sometimes it's just important to talk to a licensed professional. And the better help Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of these challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. Whether or not you've been in therapy before, it's a great place to start and you can do it all from the comfort of your home as the world's largest therapy service. BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online, plus it's affordable. Fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a therapist. If they're not clicking, easily change. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Pia. That's betterhelp.com slash Pia. Hey friend, I'm Nicole Walters, mom of three, your internet bestie and founder of Inherit Learning Company. If you're looking for the motivation you need to pursue a life of purpose, then join me each week on the Nicole Walters podcast as I share my hard-learned lessons and answer your DMs about life, business, and everything in between. We'll laugh, we'll cry, and we'll grant ourselves grace as we do life together. Check out the Nicole Walters podcast every Tuesday here on Dear Media. You can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts. At what point did you get an office? And at what point did the two of you say to each other, this is a thing? I mean, when do you remember that moment when you realized like this is possibly going to be my career? We we raised some money. And I think that was like realizing oh, cool. that there was interest out there mm-hmm. was really important. And then just seeing that we started working with the woman who ended up becoming our chief revenue officer for many, many years. She came on board early as a freelance consultant, helping us figure out that model. And she is so smart. I adore Shana. She's just the best. She's been with us from the beginning. And and so and she really understood the potential and seeing her appetite for it and her excitement and enthusiasm about being able to sell this was amazing. 
but you know, but then like we started, we're starting to move and then the recession hits. And what was the first thing to get cut? Digital advertising, because like all the print stuff was like spoken for. So, you know, there were some bumpy times there, but we, I just remember getting through that recession and thinking like, if we can get through this, we're, we're we're lean, we have clients, we're good. It's a low cost business. We don't Mm -hmm. have, you know, like we didn't have the cost yeah, of paper. making things. There's nothing. Yeah, yes. like we didn't have like there wasn't there weren't a lot of hard costs to it. And that if we could just make it through that, then we could have some runway. And that's how it worked out. It's incredible. And now it's been 16 years. Are you how active are you today and who, what, where? Extremely. So I have been the chief content officer for a number of years. So I oversee editorial and creative and social and the copy team and our podcast team. So I am, and I work really closely with Shana and our sales team on the media revenue side. You know, I have been, I was co-CEO for a long time. Like my hands are all over it. I'm in editorial meetings. I, you know, I am, I'm sending my poor team ideas from TikTok in the middle of the night where I'm like, don't look at this until it's I always hours. do not respond yes, to this, yes. but I need to get it from my phone to another phone because I'm going to forget yes. this. I can't save it here. Yeah. All the time. So I've been doing that for years. Please do not respond. Yes. Pretend like you didn't get this until tomorrow, but I need it to be on your phone so you can help me do something. with it. Exactly. It's just like a, <laughs> a, a memory thing. So yeah, yes. I'm, I'm still super involved. And, you know, with the podcast, I still cast it primarily and you know it's all I love podcast is a big deal I love it but like (laughs) I love all of this stuff like I Mm -hmm. get so much joy from it and I know that the the world of content in general has gone through a number of iterations since we started but I truly believe in the power of storytelling in this way and that people crave that authentic connection and to hear these amazing stories. And, you know, I grew up in a world where my parents were very anti anything fashion. They just thought it was silly and, you know, not important. My mom was very into like beauty fades, like be smart, be kind. Those are the important things. But I I realized like what you wear communicates something before you can even open your mouth. So mm-hmm. if we think it's important to be articulate in the way that we communicate with folks with our words, why isn't it important to be articulate with the way that you dress yourself? Mm-hmm. And that still to this day really speaks to me. I feel even if no one knows, like I had this huge presentation in London and I went, I wore like a vintage J. Crew sweater that was black and a black pencil skirt with this big bow that was Roxanda, which is, you know, she's a London based mm-hmm. designer. And just that silly thing of like, okay, and I had Dior heels and I was like, everything that I'm wearing was designed by a woman. A perfect three things. I mean, classic outfit, perfect it, London it's moment. Like a little fashion. But black uh-huh. and serious, you know, like the American high low. Vintage J. Crew, perfect. All of it. Yeah. So like 
<laughs> no one listened. I mean, I was presenting to a bunch of like investors. They, yeah, they wouldn't don't, they know, don't know or care. But I love that internal storytelling. And I felt like mm-hmm. I'm wearing female designers. I'm representing America and the UK in this. Like I, you, it sounds so silly, but it gave me a certain confidence that allowed me then to do my job in a who knows, maybe it's only 5% better, but I'll take it. I'll take that 5%. What do you think makes who, what, where still this successful? Because so many sites, besides the fact that it was, you know, you pioneered this industry. You're not the only site that does this. No. No, it is rampant. Yeah. And what do you think it is that separate? I mean, it's it's a truly consistent aspect of many women's lives now for, you know, almost two decades. Yeah. So what do you think it is that has allowed you guys to stay afloat and remain successful? And I and within that answer, can you also explain kind of like you guys do a lot of different you're I mean, you're a big media company at this point, you know, so kind of break down. Yeah. So I think I think at the end of the day, the reason that who, what, where resonates with folks and continues to is because we're really trying to talk to the audience like they're our friend, like they're just someone we know. That, Mm -hmm. again, feels a little bit more like all of this authenticity talk these days that feels like table stakes now, but we've always been doing it. I mean, you have like I wrote every single story on the site for the first three or four years, and I wrote them all for my best friend, Kelly who is, mm-hmm. she's been my best friend since I was five. She's outrageously intelligent, but she's also very, very busy. And she doesn't have time to like sort through everything that's going on in the fashion world, but she wants to know. And it's like, what would my quick download to my that's very cool amazing friend be about this trend or this gene or whatever mm-hmm. it is? So, and I think that the team at Who at Wear has been so unbelievable at taking that initial ethos and making it their own and letting it transform and putting their By own the way, that's, personalities I don't want to interrupt, it. but that speaks to you as a manager. I think it speaks to the Give team. Give yourself I'll just say that. Like, because they, they're the <laughs> ones who do all of it. Like, they're the custodians of it. Like, I don't write Absolutely, for the site anymore. But, but you giving them the autonomy, the decorum that you've had since the very beginning, the passion you have for it, the, you know, vibe in the office. Some offices don't have, you know, the whole thing. By the way, I mean, think about, you know, like cat callings, mm-hmm. how fabulous and chic and elegant, how long has she been working for you? Anytime LPA launches anything, yeah. I'm pinging cat. Yeah. Same thing with Christian. Christian put Baroncini in a gifting roundup two days ago. And I was like, well, no, I'll wear a gifting roundup. Like, you know, I mean, it's, and these are elegant, very professional. I mean, the level of professionalism of those girls. Yes, they did that themselves, but they are reflecting what you have set up as the founder of this company. Well, Every company ha- employees are always a reflection of the founder. Well, you know, I'll be the first to say that I've made countless, countless mistakes along the way. But of how are you? Of course. But, you know, ultimately, I think that the team has always been incredibly strong and I love seeing them take this thing that we created and evolve it. So I -hmm. have always been, you know, there was a period of time when there was this sentiment going around in the media world that like you, 
the main brand should never promote or include their team, their editors, social handles in anything, because then that editor is building their own social and then they can take it and it will give them power and they'll mm-hmm. leave. And I was like, no, we absolutely tag them. We absolutely include them. I want them to build their own personal brands, their own followings while they're with us. I want them to put themselves in the story. I want that first person's storytelling. I want them to learn and make those relationships and grow and take those skills with them as they move forward in their career. Mm -hmm. People have poached from us forever. I kind of love it in a weird way because (laughs) it says that we're doing something right. Absolutely. And so I think the reason that the company continues to thrive after all of this time is really the team, their maniacal, wholehearted obsession and dedication with creating the best possible content for our audience. We've always really taken an art and science approach to everything that we do. So we test, we love data, we look at what's selling, what people are clicking on, what they're actually buying. We tailor stories to that, but then we also give them what they don't know they want yet. So Mm -hmm. because that's such an important piece of it as well. And the other piece is we've always been very social first. So I remember our interns told us about Twitter back in the day. (laughs) I just remember being like 140 characters. Why? But we've always been early on social media and then created content, not just to drive it back to who, what, where, though that obviously is important too, but to really engage with the audience and create content for that platform. Mm -hmm. And you can't help but feel infused with new ideas and new talent and new concepts to cover when you're in the mix like that. Yeah, of course. So I think that part has also always been really key. And, you know, the other part is I feel that it's important to have a generous perspective on things. And we've always been really great about discovering talent and you know, spotlighting women who have cool personal style or brands or whatever it may be. And, you know, I remember we used to have a story called MySpace Muse, tells you how old that that. was. And then it became Style Stalker, where it was like real women with cool style. Style Stalker was such a big deal. I I remember I got featured in something once that was like, I can't remember when I was young and I was like, I made it. It's a thing. Well, you do did something really smart too, because before digital... The it girl, I think people forgot about. So now we just say influencer. But the it girl was so important, so important. And that only came, you know, randomly uh, would girls be announced as it girls or it would be printed somewhere or, or vaguely on websites or whatever. But you went even further than that. It didn't have to be a social. It didn't have to be an it girl. It was like this random chic woman who has these very cool photos. I mean, you also pioneered that. We really thought it was important to give credit where credit was due and to hold up women around the country, around the world up and say like, hey, this person, you know, is a works for the Gap in San Francisco and she has great personal style. And oh, her name is Blair Eady and she has this blog called Atlantic Pacific. And, you know, like, (laughs) we got her, we did a story on her when she was just starting. So that's, Mm -hmm. that part has always been, I think, essential to it as well. Just that eye for 
you know, new talented people who are coming up and not being afraid to celebrate them. Because remember, like blogger was such a dirty word for so long. And there was so much so dirty gatekeeping around that. And, you know, brands and magazines were, you know, treated them poorly. They treated us poorly, even as because we were just digital media until they realized sort of the power of it. But I think (laughs) I think the fact that we were early on that has also been helpful. And at the end of the day, I just love it. I love it. I love what we do. Where do you see who, what, where going in the next few years? I mean, I think there are a lot of opportunities out there. There are definitely more podcasts that Mm -hmm. we could do. I want to bring an IRL component to that as we go forward. I think there's a lot of community that would like to interact. Big time. I really want to bring a one of our spring or fall issues to life where you can shop everything in the issue in an IRL environment. I think that would be so fun. Coming back to brick and mortar. Yeah. I think people want like a tangible experience. Yeah. It doesn't need to be a series of stories. You know, I think the old way of opening up tons of stores and managing inventory and seasons and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I think people want to be in a space that is curated by the people that they spend all their time online with, you know? I agree. And I also think there's something to, like, if you could have a pop-up where it was, yes, here are like the key pieces that we wrote about. Here's one mm-hmm. in every size. So you can try it on and then you could just like go on an iPad and order it. But that way, I don't know about you, cool. but like that's the irritating, the only friction for me with shopping online is I know my measurements, but you're never quite sure how something's going you know, to fit. Every brand is so different. So if you could go and try on everything... And then just order cool. it. I I feel like that would be fun too. And then just to know that idea. it's like all curated for you. Mm. Genius. Fun, right? Yes. Talk to me about the podcast because you have a major, major pod. How long have you been doing that? So we started the Second Life podcast. I think it first aired in... February 2018. So coming up on Again, five, pioneering. five years ago. Because <laughs> now there are... Pause are plenty, but they were not at that time. Yes, but it's such a funny thing. Folks often ask, they're like, oh, are, does it, the fact that like everyone has a podcast, does that make you nervous? It's like, no, no, it's hard to do. I mean, it's easy. Again, the cost of entry, the barrier to entry is low, but it's hard to keep going. And yes. that's one thing where I was like, I feel like a lot of folks think it's a great idea and they start and then they realize like the absolute you know, lift of it all. And then they're Mm. not as interested. You have to either really love it or I think come from a content background or a journalism background. Not always, Mm -hmm. but it has to be passion or purpose in some way. Is there, I mean, I can't imagine doing the math on the amount of interviews are, is there some sort of common denominator or some common thread that runs through all the women that you, you know, it's like, I always think of like Oprah's last interview or last episode where she was like, everybody is in all these years, everybody just wants to be hurt. They want love and they want to be hurt. But, you know, you obviously have a, a different perspective. You have interviewed endless powerhouses, many women who have found success in an odd pivot or, you know, a second life. So really, you know, what's been like the byline of the podcast? I think that there are a number of them. One of them is that everything's going to be okay. Oh, that's what they tell them. Like that's 
that's I, I ask at the end of the podcast, like if you could go back in time and speak with your younger self, what would you say? The most common answer is it's all going to be OK. That just gave me a little emotional tingle. <laughs> and you realize like almost all of the women who have been on Second Life, who have built these amazing companies or had these amazing careers, they're often like the first generation of entrepreneur. They mm-hmm. are you know, the first in their family, maybe to work as a woman, it's, it's a real leap. And, Mm -hmm. and certainly like the first to work in a career rather than a job. And for them to take the risk of starting something that's their own is not only terrifying in general, but also there's so many other layers on top of it. I think a lot of women also feel very responsible for their teams and the people who come and work Mm -hmm. for them in a way that I have not seen historically in men. So there's like that added pressure of it. And then, I mean, I think probably my favorite thing that I ever heard was from this woman, Cindy Capobianco. She is the co-founder of Lord Jones, the CBD luxury brand. Mm -hmm. And I asked her like about best advice. And she said, if you don't ask, you don't get that simple, that simple. I love that. Whether it's money or respect and boundaries, like no one can read your mind. Your boss doesn't know what you want. Your partner doesn't know what you want. You have to say it. And no one, I think that for me anyway, I, come from, you know, military dad, teacher, mom. I was going to say from a military family. (laughs) And, you know, I was a good student. My brother's in the Navy. Same, same. I I get the vibe. (laughs) Uh, Yes. My dad was in the Navy for very, for like 30 years. Um, You know, very like you work hard and someone will notice and like give you a gold star. And it doesn't work like that. So it was a real, and I still like negotiating on my own behalf is one of the things I am the worst at I it's Mm -hmm. it's something I have struggled with and but no one knows like no one's going to just give you something amazing if you're not asking for it not in not in your career not in the work world not it just they don't so having and I I feel like it's been easier for me in some ways now that I have a family because it felt strange negotiating for myself but if I can remove myself from the equation and now I'm negotiating on behalf of my family, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden I feel yeah. I can, I have a different fire and capacity for it. Mama bear. Exactly. And that has like, <laughs> that has changed things a little bit for me. But I think that sentiment of know your worth, which mm-hmm. ultimately is part of what that is, is the other like main through line that it's a common struggle and something that women have to work to overcome and they get there. That has to be that has to be a consequence of people thinking you're like not wanting to come off as like a bitch because I. I I never I'm always like I had a big meeting last week and I was like, oh, this is going to, you know, I just shouldn't even go like this is just not going to. And and all my friends are like, do you understand that you have value? And I was like, what value? What are you talking like? I, I mean, I just down. I think that's 
I wonder if that's a generational thing or if it's a women thing it's or a societal thing, certainly completely, because I just absolutely don't ever advocate for myself in that way. I, I, I lean towards insecurity and I'm nothing and lucky to get whatever I can get. Which, so I love, I love that advice, which they want. They, they want you to think that that the Royal, th- yeah, yeah, the Royal, they, that yes, behooves them for you to mm-hmm. think that. And when I can sort of, twist my thinking around and understand that, then it opens things up for me. And then, you know, I often think about like, how would a man negotiate this? And that sounds awful that I have to like role play in a certain way. No, but it's just not my inherent way of being in part because I was never taught any of these skills at Mm -hmm. any point, not in my home life, not in my school, not at work. It just it's all been self-taught you know, and you just don't know. That wasn't something you taught. I mean, I feel like we, at least now, you know, I, when my, my sis, my siblings are 12 to 20 years older than me. So their kids are high school, college now. So when, when they were born, it was the first time. I, I mean, my dad would say it to me too, but it, you know, you could be whatever you want yeah. and you fight for yourself and you, but that's a very new concept. He would didn't say that to my sister, who he had 20 years previously. It was very, what are you going to do? How are you going to get there? You need to stay in school, blah, blah, blah. And also, like, you can be anything you want, but that's great messaging. I heard that growing up, but there wasn't any sort of framework either. So no. I had no idea how to go from everything's possible to actually just, yeah. making something happen. Like, yeah. cool. You can be whatever you want. I have no advice on how to get you no, there. No, like you have to figure out the road. <laughs> and, you know, ultimately I think that's fine because you have to be a self-starter in that way. But, you know, I had, I had no role models. I had no roadmap for any of this. Yeah, no, of course not. I would like to finish up by trying to understand how you uh, juggle it all. <laughs> Can you give me advice? Poorly. (laughs) I mean, really, are there any things that you do within a day? Like even scheduling. I mean, I feel like that's everyone's biggest. You know, I think we're all trying to figure out how to get it done. Yeah. And so truly, I would love to know how you manage and what works for you. Well, I think for me, if we're looking at like my whole life, the easiest and best thing, not the easiest, the best thing I did was marry a man who is truly a 50-50 partner. Yes. So I think for folks out there who have not made that decision yet, like your choice of partner can really affect everything. Though I didn't want children. The only reason I have them is because I married a man who I knew would also be a good dad and that... Mm we would do it together. It wouldn't be 100% on me, which is what I saw modeled growing up and in most of my friends' more traditional relationships. So the fact that I have a great partner who does just as much, if not more than I do, you know, we take turns, has been really helpful. Aside from that, I honestly, like, I'm a Virgo, so obviously everything is scheduled. Like You got a leg up on all the rest of us. Well, it's just the <laughs> scheduling part. Like, everything goes in the iCal from, like, buying a present for someone to... Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I Because I, I've been considering, like, even blocking out, like, emails or, like, going yes. on a walk. Like, actual I things like that. I, okay. Because, I like, my calendar is so busy that if I don't block out lunch, there's no lunch. 
like I'll just have back to back meetings the entire day. So I, I schedule everything. I schedule my workout so that I know that's my time. I schedule doctor's appointments six months in advance. I schedule everything. Mm -hmm. I schedule friend time. I schedule date night. I schedule grocery shopping. Like I really Mm. try and put it all there just so that I know how to get things sorted. The other part of this though, and I think this is just getting older and also having gone through a difficult situation with my first kid who was born early and was in the NICU. I have some perspective on all of it, which is, Mm. you know, like when you're sitting in the hospital with your baby, Mm. you realize that none of this really matters that much in the grand scheme of things. And that has helped me calm down about the fact that I'm not great for everyone all the time. I, if I'm great at work, I'm often not as great at being a mom or being a friend or being a daughter. Like there are seasons for everything. And I think giving yourself a little grace for that is okay. Like I'm not a perfect friend right now. It pains me. I just don't have a lot of bandwidth for it. And instead of feeling miserable all the time about it or beating myself up about it, I try and make sure that the quality time I have with people is really like I am focused on them and really paying attention. But I, you know, I'm not the person who I want to be in that world anymore. And I think I'll have time for it again when the kids are a little bit bigger. And I know some folks are able to prioritize it more. It's just not what I can do How right old now. Are they? Three and five. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, it's just like I'm just in in it a little bit. I also think I've been pretty good about being realistic about what I can accomplish because, and again, this goes back to being a parent, I have a hard out every day of like, I have made it a priority to make dinner and eat with our kids as a family every night. So no matter what's going on, I know I only have a certain amount of time in the day to get everything Mm -hmm. done. So like all of my like cool chit chat and like, let's go for a lunch and all that, like that stuff is gone. It has made me prioritize. I don't do, I don't go to lunch ever either. Yeah. A breakfast, maybe I would have done like that can sometimes make sense, but because I know I have a certain deadline and then I'm with my kids and then I'll get back on afterwards. But Like I only have so much time in the day, so I'm really thoughtful about how I use it. And then also I'm just like, we're all, it's messy. It's messy. Yeah, same. (laughs) You know, like, and, and it's okay. It's not always going to be messy. Like it's, it's fine. Like revel in it a little bit. Everyone feels (laughs) like they're going crazy. You know, like I, I'm, I'm so grateful that I get to do something that I love and, you know, do I have 47 things I need to deal with in Excel? Sure. But it'll get done. It'll get done. It'll get done. What do you do first thing when you wake up in the morning? Do you want the real answer? Yeah. yeah. I look at my phone. Yeah. Same. Oh, I got to figure that out. But that's OK. I don't I'm care. I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I'm I, not gonna myself up about I was it. like, I know it's not it's not good, but I don't care. I love it. I want to see know, what's going too. on. What in do the you world. look at? Twitter first. Because I'm a I news hound underneath got it all. on Twitter. Never got on Twitter. I like it for information. So yeah, of course. Twitter, I look at the New York Times. I look at Instagram. 
if I wake up with enough time to do that. Half the time I'm like, I, I wake up and I'm just going to go get my daughter. So yeah, yeah that's all. And then I put on my Apple watch. <laughs> Those are the nerdy things I do every day. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I'm not like, I'd love to tell you, I'm like, I meditate and I do this and uh-huh. I do that. No, like I wake up, I get my kids. I glance at my phone while I'm making coffee and my husband feeds them breakfast while I make them lunch. I try and work out. If I have first thing in the morning, he takes them to school and you know that I'm in my day at like eight. Right. Which you're in your day. I'm in my day at nine. I mean, like I would love that. It's just, I, it is what it like sometimes. I know. Well, I try, I start doing emails and stuff at eight and then like meetings and stuff start at nine. Yeah. And it's like, my I, daughter doesn't wake up till eight. Oh, that is, I'm, mine are up at six, six fifteen, And that's, I thing. wait for her to wake up in the morning. Oh my gosh. That sounds so dreamy. No, I know I have early birds and I'm I hate not, telling people that. I mean, it's, it's, it's lucky and it's, I love but I'd it rather have an early bird. I'd rather have an early bird because I would love to have a heart out of my bed at a certain time and be well prepared for the day. Yeah. But I, I have to like wait on her and feed her. And then I'm like, ah. I don't have to set an alarm because of the kids at this point, Mm -hmm. which is kind of amazing. But it's crazy because like I was such a night owl. Like I didn't eat dinner until like nine or 10 most nights. Mm. I, you know, pre-kids didn't get up until eight or sometimes nine and still would be in the office at 930. Not sure how that worked. Like I was a real I did not get much done in the morning. I always said like I wasn't great before noon. And it's weird how that stuff switches. You just adjust. Yeah. Well, you're forced to, I guess. So. And then your circadian rhythm just changes. Well, it's because you're actually so as someone who has struggled with sleep issues over the years, it's there's something to the consistency of it where it's like you're really actually getting going to sleep at the same time and getting up at the same time every day and have for five years. It's great. It's it's wild to be. I mean, I just feel so, as I said earlier, I didn't get married until I was 37. Mm-hmm. And then I got pregnant three months after we got married. Amazing. And then it was like, we have a baby. We bought a house. Then we had another baby not that long after. My world changed so radically in Just that, in five years. I mean, like I had two kids under two and had been yeah. married for two years. Like it was, and I was like a footloose, fancy free, very independent person. And now all of a sudden I was like, I have a mortgage and I have children and I have a husband. And I saw none of this for myself. It was, (laughs) it was like, I, there were moments of, of feeling like I understand why people have midlife crises. Yeah. Crises. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you just look at your life. Did you ever feel that way? Like an imposter in your own life? Yeah, I, so I have these two boxes next to me right now that are that three and it's my 20s and yeah. I need to go through them. And I opened up one yesterday and it was like film photos from this like party I had in my apartment. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I, and I don't even recognize I, my old and self I don't sometimes. recognize my old self. And then sometimes I'll look at my husband and I'll it'll be like at night and I'll look at him and I'll say, Wow, you were like that hot Italian guy I was dating. And now and now we're like in bed full on our phones with two dogs and the babies in bed. You know, like yeah. that seems going from having this like sexy, romantic, intense relationship to talking about Carmela's poop. 
Yes. And you hear this in movies and you're like, oh my God, all people in their forties talk about that or their late thirties. And like, uh, so, but it's like, oh God, this is just, they're talking about it because it's a very weird, odd 180. Yeah. It's a beautiful new thing, but it's, you've lived the whole first half of your life completely differently. And that's why everyone says they're like, oh, is it hard to have a second? I was like, no, the first one upends mm-hmm. your world. So like 95% of my world was different. Having a second just means 97% of my world. You know, like it's it's yeah. such, such a small percentage. It's like all of the other stuff. But I don't All the big changes have happened. Yeah. Like the full. And I know that there are folks out there who are like, oh, my life didn't change that much. I'm like, well, good for you. Mine <laughs> sure did. And it was shocking to me. I do not feel like I was fully prepared <laughs> by how radically different it would be. <laughs> I know. And I wish more people talked about that. Well, thank God. I think people are now because yeah. I tell people all the time, like, friends that are single and like, oh, I just want to have kids. And I just want to it's like sleep why? like a starfish, sleep like a starfish <laughs> as long as you can. Just why do you want that? Just remember, like you will not always be sleeping alone. You will be a starfish for a short period of time in your life. A so really enjoy it. That's what I always say. I agree. I can't thank you enough for <laughs> talking to me. I feel like I just interviewed a full celebrity. Yeah, this was so lovely. I can't believe I just shouted about being a starfish, but you know, <laughs> I love starfishing. I know I feel that way when Davide's out of town. If I can get a dog off the bed, I'm like, ah. I mean, sleeping in the middle. It's like a power pose for slumber, <laughs> right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, this was so lovely. It was such a pleasure. You know, I get the biggest kick out of you ever. I have followed oh, you for ages and ages and ages. And anytime we get to chat, I'm just beside myself with joy. So thank you for having me. That's. I feel very awkward about being on the receiving end of that compliment. Well, thank I, also, you by so the way, much. like I don't do podcasts because I don't like giving up the control of it all. So I, I was like, <laughs> it makes me very nervous and uncomfy. So thank you also for I've make, been wanting to have me you on for so long. I didn't want to ask. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to put anyone in a position to have to say no to me. I feel that's like I don't, you know, it's like an awkward thing yeah. to be like, sorry, I just can't do this right now. So I was like, I'm just not going to say anything and kept pinging people at, D- at the, you know, at Dear Media kind of being like, can we just like put the feelers out over there in a way that, that is no pressure? So I'm very happy we were able to do that. I mean, like truly excited. Like I've listened to your pod forever. Like I get such a kick out of it. You know that Amanda oh, was my yes. old back in the day. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. oh, she's just the greatest. It was the made greatest. me so happy. The Small greatest. Worlds. Those episodes were so good. Now she has a boyfriend. And I was like, you really fucked my podcast by getting a boyfriend because <laughs> your single stories were some of my highest listened to episodes. I can only imagine. <laughs> I can only imagine. I mean, she's just the well, greatest. The ever. Thank you so much, Hillary. I really appreciate it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes this week's episode of Everything is the Best. I hope you enjoyed it. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Maybe leave a comment. But remember, shitty comments are for shitty people.
Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.